Well, hey, good morning, Bethany. Uh, so glad that you've joined us from wherever you are. Uh, thanks for taking some time out this morning to be with us. Uh, my name is Martin, and I'm on staff here. I'm a family life pastor, and uh, it's so good to be able to share with you uh, this morning. Um, and I just want to start off by saying how much I enjoy being part of this community, how much I enjoy pastoring and serving you all. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that uh, year in and year out. Uh, it's just fun. Like, I love serving students. I love serving families here. Uh, I just find no greater joy than to um, walk with a student, to walk with a family, to help students through crisis and questions and issues and just seeing reconciliation and reconnection. And uh, it's, just, it's just amazing. Uh, and so I, I just count it a real privilege to serve you and to serve alongside of you as we... Um, uh, change the world starting here in Niagara. I just want to say this because I don't think we can say this enough, that as a church staff, we are here for you. Now, I've given my life and we have 20 other staff who have given their lives to serve you, to journey with you. And, and our heart's desire is to see Jesus come alive in your life, to see Jesus come alive in the, li- in, in the hearts of your kids. We want to see you grow in your influence at your work and in your community. And we believe in you. And and we're all accessible. So if you have a need, the one thing you can know for sure is that you don't have to journey alone. Just reach out, give us a call, send us an email, send us a text. Uh, We're here for you. So please reach out. So because I'm a pastor and I went to school specifically to study the Bible, I get asked, what does God want me to do? Or how does he want me to live my life? And, And the Bible is a big book with lots of words. And so there's got to be like 12 steps or four laws or 10 commandments or something like that to help us. And, and you would be right. The Bible is a big, big book and it has lots of instructions on how God wants us to live. And these are all important things. And I love this series that we're doing, Jesus the King, because we've been talking a lot about following Jesus well. And if you've missed the past few weeks, I just want to encourage you to go back, binge watch them. They're all good and all helpful for you. But this week, the story that we'll look at, I want to make things even easier for you. Easier and more difficult at the same time. Because isn't this the truth? It's possible to do and to say all the right things and still miss the point. To do all the right things with the wrong motivation. And when we have the wrong motivation for long enough, it will eventually lead us to making poor and unwise decisions. And so the question we'll ask ourselves today through the story that we're going to look at is this, and this will help frame and guide our discussion today. The question is this, how would you respond to someone who has changed your life and totally transformed your world? So that's the question we'll be investigating today. And we'll meet three main characters, and each character had their life changed by Jesus. And all three had different responses to this person and the presence of Jesus in their world. So we'll be reading from Matthew 26, verses 1 to 13. And we'll actually start in verse 6. Verse 6 says this, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who previously had leprosy. So this story we're going to talk about today, we see this story in Matthew, we see the same story in Mark, we see the same story in Luke. And so the context that we read here is Jesus is at a dinner party and the the dinner party is held in honor of Jesus. And it's at the home of Simon, the former leper. 
And so we see Simon is present. We see the disciples are present. And so Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem where he knew he would be handed over to be tried and eventually unjustly sentenced to death. So that's the context of this story. So now back to verse one. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he continued and said this to his disciples. So the question is, well, what did things did he just say? And so Jesus is at a dinner party and like most dinner parties that Jesus was invited to, he was often kind of given a platform to speak and to teach. That's what he was known for, as we heard last week. And so in Matthew 25, just one chapter before, we see the things that Jesus was talking about just before he said these things that we're going to read in a moment. So Jesus is speaking about when he returns eventually as the true king, he would come and separate his true followers from those who weren't his true followers. Jesus says that my true followers are the ones who care for the thirsty, care for the hungry, um, care for the orphan and the widow, care for those who are, uh, don't have any clothes, care for those who are in prison. And he says, when you've done these acts of kindness for others, he says, it's actually like you're doing them for me. So these are the things that he's talking about just before he says this in verse two. So in verse two, after he said all these things, he says this, as you know, Passover begins in two days. Again, he's on his way to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. So when he says these words, the son of man, he's actually talking about himself kind of in code. The son of man will be handed over to be crucified. So before Matthew 25 happens, before I'm actually uh, return as king and before I kind of separate all my true followers, before I do all that, know this, that I have to go through some pretty rough things. I have to walk a difficult path. So before I can be glorified, I need to suffer. That's what Jesus is saying at this dinner party. And then Matthew adds verse three and verse four, kind of as a, an aside, just to give his readers a little uh, glimpse into behind uh, what's kind of going on behind the scenes. So verse three and verse four, he says, at the same time, so at the same time this dinner party is going on, at, at the same time Jesus is talking about being crucified and eventually glorified. So at the same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest. And what were they doing? Well, in verse four, it says, they were plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. They said in verse five, though, let's not, doing, let's not do it during this Passover celebration because the people may riot. And so they all agreed with that plan. So they, they were plotting. They were trying to find a way to, to secretly get rid of Jesus. In verse seven, we see one of our other main characters in this story. So in verse seven, Matthew brings us back to the house of Simon and back to the story. And it says, while he was eating, a woman came in. So while he was reclining at the table, while he was deep in conversation, this woman came in. And so, as I said, the story was also recorded in Mark and recorded in John. And John tells us who this woman was. This woman, her name was Mary. Her sister was Martha. We see her other times in the gospel stories. So her, her name was Mary, her sister was Martha, and her brother was a, a man by the name of Lazarus. And as you may know, Lazarus was a person who was a friend of Jesus who actually died. When Jesus was out doing ministry, he had passed away. And Jesus came and actually raised him back 
to life. So here you have this dinner feast going on. You have Simon, the former leper, a, a man who Jesus had healed. And in the same conversation, we have a man who was raised from the dead. Like, there's quite the dinner conversation, quite the guests. And so um, we see this woman coming in as Jesus is reclining. She comes in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume, Matthew says, and pours it over his head. In verse 8, we read that the disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. And John tells us that it was Judas leading this complaint. And John also lets us know that Judas was greedy. And kind of on the side, what he was doing is he was taking, stealing money, actually, from donations that were given. Jesus was aware of this, so Matthew continues. Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me, he says. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. Remember, Jesus is just talking about being handed over to be crucified. In verse 13, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's good deed will be remembered and discussed. And then verse 14, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests. Maybe this is after the dinner had finished, we don't know. And, and he asked them, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they agreed to give him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them. And so we have three main characters here. Each encountered Jesus. Each had their lives and their world changed and transformed by Jesus. One, we see the leading priests and leaders. Now, their world was totally transformed by Jesus. Their world was turned upside down by him. And how did they respond to Jesus? Well, we see they saw Jesus as a threat to their position and power. And so their response to Jesus was try to get him off the scene, try to get the spotlight off of him, trying to remove him from the scene. We also see in this story, Judas, he saw Jesus as competition to his wealth and to his selfishness. And we see here perhaps the most misguided, short-sighted and deviant act ever done by someone who claimed to follow Jesus. And that man, of course, is Judas. And he, he doesn't get it. He is blinded by his own selfishness and he attempts to rob Jesus of his worthiness for his own gain. And he demonstrates this by telling Mary that her act of love is wasted on Jesus. And what an example to avoid. And so to be like Judas is to say money and status and popularity, there are plenty of things in this world that are worth more than Jesus. And eventually Judas will sell out for 30 pieces of silver. And that's about $200 in today's money. And so we see the contrast of these two figures with the third character in our story, Mary. So how did Mary respond to being changed by Jesus, to having her life totally transformed by the presence and power of Jesus? Well, Mary saw Jesus as he truly was. Mary saw Jesus as king. And in humility, elevated him to the position of honor. So these middle verses of Matthew 26, we'll focus on these for the rest of our time together. 
and they contain what is perhaps the most devoted, loyal, and affectionate acts ever done by an individual for Jesus. Mary hears these words of Jesus and she gets it. She sees what others don't. She recognizes that the man in front of her will soon die for her. And she acknowledges his kingship. She demonstrates his worthiness by killing her pride and giving her best to him. So what an example for us. So to follow Jesus, the king, is to be like Mary. It's to say, you alone, Jesus, you alone are worthy of my obedience and all I have. It's uncalculated. It's over the top. It's extravagant. It's reckless. To give you an idea of how much perfume Mary used, think of a plastic solo cup filled about 12 ounces worth. And this perfume was, we're told, made of pure nard. And the ingredients came from China and Pakistan and the Himalayas. It was the best of the best. And it traveled a long way to get here to Bethany. And it wasn't contained in a, a plastic cup, but a sealed alabaster jar, which needed to be broken to be accessed. The jar itself would have been very costly. And just think of it this way. Imagine buying a gift for a friend and spending a year's worth of wages for that gift. Well, that's what we're told that Mary does for Jesus. Again, John tells us that this gift that Mary poured over the head and the feet of Jesus was worth about a year's wages. If you think of the average wage and salary in Canada is roughly $40,000, that's an expensive gift. But giving our best is a theme that we see throughout scriptures. We see it first when God calls us to give of our first fruits to him. He says to bring the best of the best from me. Bring the first part of your crops, bring your best animal, bring them to me and sacrifice them for me. We also see this in the temple construction when God asks his people to build him a home. And, and what does he do? He says, bring your best carpenters. Don't build it with just any wood. Go get the best wood and build it. Make it extraordinary. Make it extravagant. Give me your best of the best. And Paul picks up on this in, in Romans 12 verse 1. And he says, so dear brothers and sisters, he says, I plead with you. He says, give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, that, a kind that he'll find acceptable. This is a way to truly worship him. And so the call here is not for your first fruits only. It's not a tenth of what we produce. But the call here is, the, is, is for the ultimate response. Our very lives. Everything we have. So our, our lives sacrificed for the cause that Jesus gave his life for, Paul says, is like a fragrant offering. It's holy and pleasing. And so Jesus speaks to this kind of gift and this kind of response all throughout the Gospels. We see it in Matthew 13 when he tells a parable and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great worth, what did it say? 
What does he do? He sold everything he owned and bought it. Once we find it, we sell everything we have so we can keep it. Or we do everything you can to get it. We need to give our best. So there are so many things that compete for our attention and our heart. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, he says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says you need to crucify everything that you think will bring you joy and happiness and follow me. He says it's, it's counterintuitive. He says if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. If you want to keep your life, you need to give it away. And in Mark 16, he says, if you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, you must hate your mother, hate your father, and even hate your life. And we're like, whoa, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Well, he's using hyperbole. And hyperbole is simply overstatement for the purpose of emphasis. And so what he's saying is, is this. He's saying, your love for me needs to be such that your other loves seem like hatred in comparison. To love me is to hold me as an object of your highest affection. But in the story, we see that it's, it's, it's just not about the extravagance of the gift, but it's the manner in which it's offered. It's about the sacrifice, the humbleness, the reckless abandon in which Mary showed her devotion. We see in the story that Mary let down her hair. Now hair in, in this time for a woman was her symbol, was a symbol of her beauty, was a symbol of her worth and her modesty. And it was only to be let down in the presence of her husband. And so you can imagine in, in this dinner situation, Mary coming in and letting down her hair, kind of what that meant in, in that context. Then she washed not only his head with her hair and with this perfume and with her tears, but she washed his feet with her hair. And again, as you know, the roads in this ancient time were, were dirty and dusty. They were made of dirt and stone. They were shared by humans and animals alike. Again, it was a very dusty climate. What'd she do? She let down her hair. She mixed this perfume with her tears and she wiped his feet. She placed herself in the lowest possible position a human could place themselves in. Mary was simply responding to who she experienced Jesus to be in her life. You see, Jesus had utterly transformed her world. Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. Jesus had healed this friend of her, Simon the leper, he had totally transformed her world. And she didn't respond because it was on a list to do, because it was something that she knew that was the right thing to do, or because she was trying to get in God's good books. No, she was simply responding to the extraordinary activity of God in her life. And Jesus said, Mary, this moment is yours. You will be remembered for this act of extravagance. And none of you here can take that away from her. So Mary acknowledged the kingship and the worthiness of Jesus. And her life became alive and her legacy was secured. 
And so my main point this morning is this, is that Jesus is worthy of our extravagance. Jesus is worthy of all that we can bring to him, that there is no gift that is too big that, that he doesn't deserve. And so this morning, we're going to call you to respond. And I don't want you to respond out of guilt. Certainly, that wasn't Mary's motivation for bringing her gift to Jesus. Again, she experienced the fuel She experienced the full beauty of God's grace in the person of Jesus and the full power of his transforming presence. And this made all the difference in her life. So what's my challenge this week? Simply to experience the beauty and the presence of Jesus for yourself. See, even before Mary brought anything to Jesus, what happened first? She experienced the gift of God in Jesus. She experienced the presence and the power of Jesus personally. And then she simply responded to that. And so I don't want you to bring anything. I don't want you to offer anything to Jesus before you encounter the personal presence and power of Jesus in your own life personally. I want you to see his goodness. I want you to see the greatness of what he can do in your life. And if you haven't experienced that, I want to invite you to open yourself up to that. Open yourself up to him and what he can possibly do in your life. I want to encourage you to let him move you. And being a Christian, being a Christ follower is so much more than just agreeing with a certain, certain propositional truths. It's about responding, responding in extravagance, pouring out our love and pouring out our devotion at the feet of Jesus for what he means to us and for what he's done in our lives first. See, the gifts we bring are in response to what he's already done and is already doing in our life. So first, I wanna challenge you to experience the beauty of Jesus, experience his power and presence in your life. And then after this, respond in humble gratitude. Respond with whatever you can bring, whatever you feel is an appropriate gift to bring to him. Just listen to what he's calling you to do next and respond to him in humility. And so part of my challenge this week is for us to all bow at the feet of Jesus, to all humbly confess our need for him and acknowledge him as king. So as we've been doing all series long, we have a prayer that we'd like to read together now. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. So glad that you've joined us today. Again, I want to encourage you to go and experience the power and presence of Jesus in your life and then humbly respond to him this week. God bless.